Let's get into the word of God this morning. For the benefit of those who um, were not with us last week, we were talking about the miraculous pathway that God created for his people, the nation of Israel, in that he created a pathway through the Red Sea. And uh, we discovered from that and that God has a plan for our crisis. And that's what the word of God encouraged us with last week. Right after that, as the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, uh, when they came onto dry land, they spent some time worshiping and praising the Lord for the miracle that they had just experienced and their deliverance from the, the army of Egypt that was pursuing them. And then they continued their journey. And I'd like to pick up that journey. Uh, so we're looking at this morning from Exodus chapter 15. Our text is going to be from verses 22 to 27. Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water there was, uh, was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will make you, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who healed you. After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. Father, we come before you this morning now and we pray, as always, for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. We want to understand how this text applies to our hearts here today, Father. So I thank you for this word and I thank you for the Spirit of the Lord that reveals all truth and for his guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's recap now what we've just read. Moses uh, has led the people now into the desert of Shur. 
Now remember, it really wasn't Moses who was, led the people of God. It was actually God himself. He led his people through uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Uh, Moses was obviously at the front, but it wasn't Moses who really led the people. It was God himself. Now, as we read, they journeyed for three days, and during that time, they could not find any water, and they finally came to a place, uh, that, an oasis, as the Bible said, that there was water there, but it was bitter, undrinkable, probably because it was brackish, having uh, many oases out there in the desert, the water becomes brackish, quite salty and undrinkable. And so notice that the people of God complained. Some translations use the word grumble or murmur. It's the same thing, uh, complaining, grumbling, murmuring. Uh, and so Moses, in response to that, prayed. And the Lord now answered Moses by showing him a piece of wood, which Moses then picked up and threw it into the water. And the bitter water was made sweet or, or drinkable. And then afterwards, Moses, inspired by God's direction now, is, is tells the people that their future blessing would be conditioned upon their obedience. Their future blessing would be conditioned upon their obedience. Now, as always, uh, we want to make sure that we read God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit, find the connection. By connection, I mean, how does it relate to you and I today? How can we implement this in our life and so that we can hopefully live a life that will uh, be blessed and please God? Well, first, let's remind ourselves that when we read the Old Testament, Israel represents obviously the people of God, but not just the people of God then, but the people of God today. Christians, uh, those who are born again. See, you, you don't become the people of God simply because you, because you go to church. You don't become part of the, of the nation of God simply because you are part of some religious organization. No, to become part of the people of God, you must be born again. Those are the words of Jesus Christ himself. And what does it mean to be born again? Well, the first step is you have to turn away from your sin. The Bible uses the word repentance. It means to turn away, to go in the opposite direction. So you have to recognize that there's a lifestyle that you're living that is not pleasing to before God, that is sinful because it violates God's commandments. And you want to turn your life around. Then you have to recognize that the only way you can do that and the only way you can gain forgiveness of sin is to embrace Jesus Christ as your savior because it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary that you and I gain forgiveness of sin. We don't gain forgiveness of sin because we're sorry. We don't gain forgiveness of sin again because we're part of some religious organization or we do something that we feel will earn us forgiveness. We only gain forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ and embracing Christ as our Savior. Then if we have done that, the, the seal, if you will, that God has accepted 
us as his child is God imparts to us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to take up residence in our spirit. And that, as the Bible says, is God's seal that you and I are now part of the family of God. We become part of the people of God. So it's important that I lay down that foundation first and foremost. Now, connecting us to this text there are three things that I want to highlight about the children of Israel then and the people of God today. Here's the first one. We tend to have a complaining spirit. I know no one likes to hear that, but let me explain to you what I mean by that. A complaining spirit is simply finding fault and expressing annoyance. Let me say it again. Finding fault and expressing annoyance. The people of God, notice uh, they, 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 in fact, let me recap something again to go back. As the people of God then, Israel, they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt by God doing 10 miraculous plagues and demonstrating his incredible power. He brought about their deliverance, their freedom from slavery. So now they begin the journey into the promised land and just three days, come on, put your finger up at home. Three days ago, just three days ago, God again demonstrates his miraculous power by uh, uh, creating this miraculous pathway through the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea so that his people can get safely through on the other side and then closing it up on the army of Egypt. They worship God, they praise God. Now they have his presence, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night that's been guiding them. They had all of these things, yet just three days after this miraculous power, because they couldn't find water, they complained. They were annoyed. They were finding fault with Moses, even though, remember, it wasn't Moses leading them, it was God leading them. So essentially, their complaining was a complaint with God. They were annoyed at God. They were finding fault with God's leading them. And this would not be the only time that they would complain or grumble. In fact, they had a history of doing that. So much so that we find in Numbers chapter 14 something very interesting. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 26. Listen, Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 through 30. The people of God had complained about entering the promised land because they get the bad report that there were giants in the land and they didn't want to enter. So verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community of its complaints about me? Remember, he's talking about his people, not an alienation. Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now, tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. I will do to you the very things I heard you say. 
you will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained third time against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old, are you 20 years old or older? Then you better listen. Every one of you that are 20 years or older was included in the registration will die. You will not enter or occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exception will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. So, the God's people, led by God, were on the precipice of entering into the promised land. Moses sends in some spies, and 12 of them, and two, and two, except for Joshua and Caleb, the other 10 come with a bad report. They're giants in the land. We're not going to be able to get in there. We're going to be slaughtered. And that created such a stir among the people that they didn't want to go into the promised land. They didn't want to go into the place that God had prepared for them. God was leading them. This awesome God that had delivered them over and over and over. And they complained, we're going to die. Our children are going to die. Everything terrible is going to happen. And God now hears all of this fault-finding, all their annoyance. And as we read, three times God referenced that he had had enough about their complaining. And he turned them around and headed them back out into the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died. What am I getting at? It's a serious thing to have a complaining spirit. And, and we got to recognize something here. This is, uh, and it may sound so self-serving, but I, I have to share this as your pastor. The complaining was directed at Moses. The one that they perceived was the one that was leading them. But remember, it was God leading all the time. Oftentimes in church, most of the complaining is directed at leadership of the church. The lead pastor, uh, pastors of different ministries, leaders of different ministries. People complain. They, get, they find fault. They're annoyed because things are not turning out the way they expect them to turn out. They, the church is not moving in the direction they feel the church should be moving. And all of a sudden, they can be, they can get, be annoyed and find fault with the leaders Forgetting that the leaders are being led by God. And I want to just caution all of us because it's our human nature to complain. Listen to me. I'm, I'm talking about just think about your life in general. We complain about everything under the sun these days. We're, we're, we're such a, we have this such a spirit that we, do, we feel we deserve the best of everything all the time. And so when things don't go the way we feel that they should go, we start to complain. We start to complain about the spouse that God gave us. And we find fault with that spouse, forgetting that it was God who gave us that spouse. Not me, of course, I, my wife is perfect. I, I would never find fault with my wife. I don't ever complain about my wife. First of all, she can beat me up, so I don't want to do. I don't want to go down that road. But she's an angel. Just trying to score points here. Seriously, we've got a complaining spirit that God is cautioning us here today, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. We need to guard our hearts 
Israel did not guard their heart. And like Israel, you and I can forget what God has done for us. We can forget that God has broken the power of sin in our life through the, his blood on the cross of Calvary. God has saved us. We can forget the miraculous pathways that God's created for us in the past. We can forget the promise that he's given us in his word, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he will provide everything that we need. And like Israel, we can have a complaining spirit, especially when life doesn't go the way we expected it to go. We can find fault with God and we start to express our annoyance. I can't believe, God, you let this happen. How could you let this happen, God? I'm over here serving you so faithfully. I don't understand. And we start to complain. I want you to listen to the warning that we find in the New Testament. Because some people would say, well, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 says, and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Don't grumble. We need to guard our heart from a complaining spirit. And here's how we do that. We have to have a thankful spirit. Every single day that God gives you breath, you should begin it with being thankful. Carry it out throughout the day. Think about all of the things that God has blessed you with and continues to bless you with. Think about how God has always been so merciful to you and that doesn't treat you as your sin deserves. Think about how God's grace has abounded in your life where God has graciously provided everything that you need. You may not have everything that you want, but you always have everything that you need. Cultivate a thankful spirit. That's the only way you can combat having a complaining spirit. So that's the first highlight. We can tend to have a complaining spirit. Here's the second thing that connects us with the children of Israel in our text. Sometimes life becomes bitter. Sometimes life becomes bitter. And by bitter, I mean difficult to take, or if you want to use the expression, difficult to swallow, you see. In other words, they, God was leading them, but they could not find water, what they needed in the, for those three days. And then when they finally thought they had something, it really wasn't. They couldn't take in the water because it was bitter. Life can become bitter sometimes. Just a couple biblical examples. Naomi, we find this in the book of Ruth. Naomi uh, and left with her husband and her two sons uh, because there was a famine in Israel and, and they went to Moab. And while they were there in Moab, she lost her husband and her two sons. And in Ruth chapter one, verse 13, she said, things are far more bitter for me than for you. Job, though he was a righteous man, he lost all his children. He lost all his possessions. And on top of that, his body was afflicted. 
Yet Job chapter 23, verse two, he says this. My complaint today is still a bitter one. Bitterness, where you, life doesn't unfold the way you thought it would and it becomes difficult to take or to swallow. My wife and I, if I could share this on a personal note, shortly after we were married, a couple of years later, we decided to start trying to have a family. And we were never able to do that. And there were times that it became quite bitter for us not to be able to have children. You see, life doesn't always turn out as you expect or hope. That leads me to my third point. Because our first point is we can tend to have a complaining spirit. Secondly, sometimes life becomes bitter. But here's the third point. God can turn the bitter sweet. God can turn the bitter sweet. Going back to our biblical examples, Naomi, who lost everything. She returned home uh, with Ruth and Ruth ultimately married Boaz and gave birth to a son. And Naomi had this grandson that the Bible says she held him to her breast. She began, she, she had something that she could love, that it could, uh, her life now that was bitter had turned sweet. And so much so that ultimately here, God decided to bless them to the measure that this child would wind up being the grandfather of King David and part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. See, God can make the bitter sweet. For Job, we find in Job chapter 42, verse 12, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. God made his bitter sweet. As for Yvonne and I, well, we weren't able to have biological children, but God has blessed us with many spiritual children that have so uh, blessed our life. And here's the good thing about that. They get to go home. They don't take up our food, our space. They don't cost us anything. We could love them and then leave them. Praise the Lord. Seriously, though, we love them dearly and we're so thankful for them. God has a way of turning the bitter sweet. And he could make your bitterness turn to sweetness here today. He can turn your emptiness into wholeness. Listen, if you've never embraced Christ as your savior, then you don't know what it is to be whole. There's an inner emptiness in your soul that you have been trying to fill uh, with things of this world, with also maybe with relationships. But you see, that, that emptiness is your spirit that was created by God for God. Only God can fill that inner emptiness in your soul. And, and life can be very bitter because you can try to pursue things only to find that 
that none of that satisfies the inner longing of your soul. But God can turn that bitterness to sweetness when you embrace Jesus Christ as your savior, you see. In this pandemic, so many people have lost their jobs and, uh, and, and finances are difficult right now. And you, but you know what? And you thought, how am I ever going to make it? Uh, am I ever going to be able to recover? I believe this. I believe that God can replace the job you lost with a better one. He can turn the bitter sweet. I know for me, one of the other things being a, a former drug addict, I was also a heroin dealer. And when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't have much purpose for my life. And it was so bitter thinking about what I had done and with my own life and how many other lives I've helped to destroy by uh, selling drugs. But God turned that bitterness to sweetness and that he has used a wretch like me to minister the gospel for so many years. God can make the bitter sweet. Worship team, if you could help me out, please. Come on up in a moment. We're talking today about the bitter made sweet. Now, in our text, God showed Moses a piece of wood that he threw into the water, making the bitter water sweet. Now, it's important that you and I understand the wood, there was nothing miraculous about the wood. The wood wasn't special in any way, shape, or form. But here's what it does symbolize. The wood symbolizes God's power to use the extraordinary, the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Let me say that one more time. The wood in our text symbolizes God's power to use the ordinary to produce the extraordinary. In other words, I believe with all my heart that God will use the ordinary to do something extraordinary in your life, making the bitter sweet. It also tells me this, that God is going to use what you least expect to make your bitter sweet. You see, the thing about our relationship with God, if, you, if you're like me, and I believe you are, we're all in the same boat. When we look at life and we, and we have some bitterness going on, we expect God to move in a specific way to turn that bitterness to sweetness. But I wanted you to know here today, Moses and none of the children of God, no one ever expected that that piece of wood would be the key to turning the bitter to sweet. And I, I want to encourage you today, don't put God in a box and say, this is how God has to move. I, I want you to recognize that God will use what you least expect to turn the bitterness to sweetness.